Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gray Matters. I'm Charmaine. Hello, everyone. This is Ricky. And as Charmaine said, welcome back. For this episode, we are going to be talking about fashion, but we're going to specifically focus on ethics in the fashion industry. As you both know, um, Charmaine and I both have a connection to the fashion world um, some way or another. And we know that this is a broad topic, but like we said before, this episode, we're specifically talking about ethics in the need for reformation in like industrial standards, working conditions of garment workers, and of fashion merchandise itself. So we're going to jump right into this conversation. Yeah, we, um, we have so many, so many thoughts. So bear with us because we might have some tangents, but I think a lot of our Gray Matters community will relate to a lot of what we have to say. Um, I think there's, there's a need to kind of like have this conversation and, and talk a lot about ethics and the fashion industry itself, which is mm-hmm. very much connected to capitalism, like these colonialist ideals and Eurocentric, Eurocentric beauty standards, um, and some of which that includes, but it's not limited to, the high prices that create low levels of affordability of sustainable and ethical clothing for non-wealthy consumers, mm-hmm. um, the cultural appropriation of styles, textile, embroidery patterns, et cetera. And it's, that's especially something that we see like in fast fashion. Um, and also high fashion. So not it's mm-hmm. not just exclusive to fast fashion. Um, and then of course, like fat shaming and a preference for Eurocentric or tokenized slash ethnic physical features. So that um, all in of itself reproduces these exclusive practices and policing of um, when the bodies of women of color, oftentimes people of color, but more exclusively women of color. Um, and it does this through predominantly white people in positions of power. So we're thinking like, who is controlling these this industry? Who are the CEOs, the heads, the people who make up the boards of fashion companies? Because at the end of the day, fashion and its connected industries like beauty are very much um, their businesses, right? So you have to like make money in order to have this like art form but you need to be able to make money to run these companies. Um, and I think in many ways, this topic kind of connects to the beauty industry episode that we had. Um, I have a, a deep rooted like journey with fashion. I notoriously, I say notoriously because I think everyone that knew me when I was younger knew that I wanted to go into fashion and work in fashion design. I took a lot of fashion design textile courses. My high school offered a lot of really cool ones. So I did a lot of sewing. I was very interested in sewing. So I like spent a lot of time with my grandma, like, you know, just kind of um, engaging in this art form and this skill and trying to work on that skill. Um, and, and, one of the the reasons why I did not go into fashion school was like the exclusivity of it. There, there's, I mean, that and a bunch of other reasons. But um, I think that the fashion industry itself kind of thrives thrives off exclusivity, and that is kind of what makes it really. There's this level of unattainability which makes it prestigious, and that's often associated with luxury and this, you know, idea of like wanting to be one of the haves versus the have-nots. But I think that in, a, in addition to that just being like a idea and, and this kind of like idealized expectation within fashion, not expectation, but kind of like this idealized notion associated with fashion and luxury goods, it has like trickled down into the very ethics of the industry itself and like how that, how the, the products are produced. And that very much connects to like fast fashion versus slow fashion. So slow fashion is a movement that has really, it's, it's 
not a new movement. It's been around for a very long time that kind of like historically fashion is always um, produced in a slow fashion way, but it's become a movement that's become popularized and um, has kind of been brought about in response to fast fashion. But with that being said, um, I think it's important to have this conversation within the context of capitalism, like con- producing mm-hmm. fast, producing quick, producing um, at low cost for the producers and by extension at somewhat as of a low cost, um, I guess lower than sustainable or slow fashion or high fashion items to the consumer. Um, but also I think this very much connects to environmentalism, to um, you know proper wage work, especially for wage work for women of, of color across um, across the world, particularly in the global South. Like there's so many different things that kind of tie into this conversation, cultural appropriation. Like there's so many things within the fashion industry itself that um, lend itself beyond just the art of it. And like this kind of fun stylistic way of dressing ourselves. Oh my God. Also influencer culture, which we just talked about, right, Ricky? Like Mm. all of that. I think it's so like tied into this conversation because we talked about influencer culture. Like in that episode, we talked about how like, um, garments and how the trends are so quick. Mm-hmm. There's such fast turnover and there's like this of the moment shirt or this of the moment dress. And it's literally like, it's just so unattainable because in it, before it was like for a season or for a, a couple of seasons or for a look. Now it's like literally just for the gram. It's for yeah. the aesthetic. It's for one picture. And then you move on. You never wear that again because it's just for this one picture. And then where are those fast fashion items going? In addition to just like the like substantive financial costs that it has to the consumer. um, What does that mean for like everything else, environmentalism, for wage workers, for like just every, the the effects that it has on, on almost every facet and aspect of society. We have to, I think we have to really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't even listen to the influencer culture episode, but I'm going to (laughs) extend that and related to fashion because Charmaine, I think you're right that these fast fashion and and I think of not only the influencers impact like like them in their own bubble, but the impact it has on the viewers and other people, like people feeling like they have to follow these trends. And I say this because I have been um, I have fell to this, y'all. I have I have fell into the trendy thing and me feeling like what I like to wear doesn't meet the trend or what I'm wearing isn't isn't cool enough, if that makes or sense, or my clothes or my style doesn't meet what everybody else is saying. So I have to fall into it. And then what happens is it becomes toxic because the whole time you're walking around wearing this thing that you don't want to be wearing in the first place. And you're like, why am I even wearing this? What's happening? What's going on? And I I think that that falls into the larger conversation of capitalism and even colonialism, like telling other people what they should be wearing and what they shouldn't be wearing are like telling other cultures, why don't you just wear like westernized outfits or what, what do you have on or are like seeing them at belittling them because we have this hierarchical structure. Um, and oh my gosh, okay, let me not go on a tangent, but I think within this belittling, you also- I mean, you can. <laughs> we did okay. warn them there will be 
tangents. <laughs> this is a small tangent within this belittling and influencer culture, right? Of course, we have the influencers that fall into fast fashion, right? And they're just like, here my Shein haul, here my 12 pieces, take a picture for the gram. And I'm not, I'm not coming for Shein. I'm not coming for these places. To be honest, I got some clothes from Shein. I got some comfortable pajamas because I needed a lot. And that's where I could go to afford the a lot because y'all already know academia is not the most affluent paying space if you especially if you a student or a GA y'all know we ain't balling shot calling anyways we're not we're not that level yet and so I'm not coming for Shein but I feel like it becomes a problem when people feel like they they buy they have to get these things because they see it um within fast fashion but also within higher fashion right you have all of these people who are like there's this other side of the conversation where people make other people feel bad who can only afford fast fashion because you're not buying a 50 dollars top mm-hmm. or the people who think high just because you're getting high fashion items that they're quote-unquote more ethical than fast fashion not even realizing that a lot of times these high fashion items are from the same garment worker who making your three dollar top yes and it's the same thing and all they doing is changing a tag let us go ahead and dissect the galleria mall here in dallas for y'all who are in dallas or if you're in the gallery mall in Houston or gallery mall anywhere the levels of the flooring dictates how how pricey it is right so you have for example three brands old navy gap banana republic all owned by the same people you Mm -hmm. go in the mall and i think old navy's at the top then gap in the middle and banana republic on the more affluent level of the mall oh it makes no sense to me but you have this company owned by the same these brands owned by the same company you really think that your banana republic pants is being made differently than them old navy $14 pants I'm here to tell you today that no it may have like a different material or different things but it's not being made differently and I think that I see a lot of fashion influencers out there now who are trying to quote unquote be more ethical kind of kind of you know making people feel bad out here for going into forever 21 and getting your three dollar top they're like well if you invest more into quality you can get this 50 dollar top and it's more ethical and it lasts you longer and you're like b i only got five dollars i don't have fifty dollars for for a fit for one top you know when you go forever 21 with fifty dollars you can get three shirts some bottoms mix and match it mix and match it around and I think that this conversation actually reminded me of the vegan episode too, where the where we talked about veganism, where sometimes people take these social justice movements and kind of kind of make it on the whole opposite extreme. And that's not really beneficial to anyone. I feel like you mm-hmm. can be an ethical fast fashion shopper. Like I am the queen of 
donating my clothes to the thrift store or to like an ethical place. You know, I try to stay from Goodwill now. Okay. I know Goodwill heard money problems about that, but there's like local thrift shops that I'm the queen. Or like so many like yes. organizations that you yes. can donate. yes exactly there's so many places like I know in Houston a lot of I did like a big clean out and we donated our clothes to the women's shelter yeah like a lot of and 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 I feel like there's so many ethical ways that you can have fast fashion because like for me I'm like a declutter freak if I haven't worn it in six months I'm like I'm not going to wear you in the winter summer spring or fall let me give you away let me go down the line give you away And I feel like that is ethical in its way, just as if someone wants to buy that $50 shirt and just have two shirts, that's ethical in a way. So there's not one way to be ethical, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not more expensive doesn't always mean more ethical. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing is like, Mm -hmm. yes, if you are buying from like, and I love that you mentioned materials earlier too, because we don't really talk a lot about material in the U S because things are primarily knits and knits are primarily made from, um, man-made fabrics. Like they're not Mm -hmm. natural materials. And so for the most part, I'm, I'm like generalizing, but like when you have knitwear, a lot of that can't be recycled. It can't be like, you know, it goes in landfills and it sits there. Also, it was always, it was shocking to me when I, I did some research, um, for a class I took in, um, I mean, it doesn't matter when, um, cause I don't really remember, but also doesn't really matter. Um, but I took a class, um, with Dr. PC. Hey, Dr. PC. Um, uh, but it was about, it was called women at work. And so we, we discussed a myriad of, of concerns. But one of them was about a uh, section was on garment workers and garment work and particularly garment work in the global South and countries like Bangladesh, which are very, you know, well-known for having, um, garment factories and like, there's so much, but we're going to link to some of this and the resources. Cause I feel like it's so important to talk about this and, and to do your own research, but there's this amazing work being done by an activist who talks about like the impoverished life of a Bangladeshi garment worker and like how we really need to look at where we're buying our clothes. Because a lot of what you said, those conglomerates that sell high end and streetwear brands will often produce the same thing in those garment factories. And the people that are making them are making pennies, literal pennies to produce this garment. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the whole thing, but we'll get into that too. But, um, I lost my own tangent. I I got, I got got into, yeah, (laughs) I got into my whole tangent about garment workers because I'm very passionate about that, but yes, back to materials. So the thing with material too, is like, there are certain materials that are more, um, like sustainable. They're more ethically sourced. And I think that's really important too, is thinking about where your garments are sourced from, where they are made. There's a lot of great creators, um, especially women of color who are um, producing and like engaging in very ethical and sustainable work. Um, And with that being said, like not only are they like engaging in in producing ethical and sustainable materials and uh, creating really unique designs, they're participating like in kind of de- I know that this term gets a lot of flack, but please bear with me as I use it for a moment, like de- like colonizing the fashion industry in of itself, like decolonizing the ideals that come with fashion, 
who can wear what, what is fashionable, what is considered trendy, what is acceptable. And there's a lot of really great brands that do this work. And if you know of any, or if you have one, please, please reach out to us. We want to support um, small businesses, businesses run by women of color. Um, yeah, let us know, reach out to us because that's a big thing too. But um, I think this, so this conversation, I think naturally kind of like evolves into talking about ethical consumption and the complexities that make that possible. Our capitalistic society, much like everything else has made ethical consumption, something that we have to kind of go out of our way a little bit to acquire. Um, And I think there's a lot of, of conversations that this delves into. There's like a problem with like, for example, a big conversation that a lot of my friends and I have had in the fashion industry. And like, I think this also ties into our veganism episode is about like faux leather, like is real leather, um, is buying faux leather really that much better than real leather. And a lot of that is because faux leather is literally plastic and it's like man-made materials and it it's not sustainable. Um, a lot of times, especially if you're buying like a trend wear piece where what's going to happen to that material after you're done using it. Is it better to just buy a secondhand, like for example, a leather jacket? I was having this conversation with a friend of mine because she has most amazing leather jackets and has always thrifted them. And I was in the market for leather jacket sometime back. And um, yeah, that was a whole thing that we delved into because I was like, I don't know what to do. And that also ties into this problem with like what has been more commonly referred to most recently as like problematic thrifting versus like ethical thrifting. I say thrifting, problematic thrifting versus ethical thrifting and what is actually considered like ethical versus what can be problematic. A lot of people are kind of like gouging the thrifting industry in a way that people who need to afford the secondhand clothing cannot do so. Um, yep. Yep. Girl, girl, don't get me started. <laughs> it, and then the money. And then the, the other thing is the, the, the these shops that are like the thrift stop shop where it's mostly donation but like these secondhand shops like I remember when Buffalo Exchange was like a new not new but it was um years ago before Buffalo Exchange became what it is now um where I, I think I feel like it's everywhere I would take stuff to Buffalo Exchange and they would give me pennies not pennies but like yeah. such a small percentage yeah. and I will be so upset I'll be like you're kidding right you're kidding and then you're gonna go sell it for even more yeah I mean uh, yeah definitely I mean that profit it's it's the the business model right like it's so capitalist mm-hmm. but I, yeah absolutely I mean that's I think a very valid point and there are so many like concierge secondhand places that you know you can like donate your clothes to but again it's like what did you buy? Was it high end? Can you afford to sell it back for like a fraction of the cost? I think all of that is really important and something to consider. Um, also, I hear this a lot too with people and I've, I've seen this more like on social media spaces and like on TikTok as well, where people like make videos about like what size clothing you can find in thrift stores and what mm-hmm. is like, like what are people selling? What are thrift stores acquiring? Because they're obviously only going to acquire what they think will sell. So I think that's a big, that ties into like the Eurocentric um, beauty standards conversation. Um, but also I think it's just so important to think about fast fashion and how it's largely like killing us and the planet. I know that may be a little dramatic, but it's, it's really like, Looking at this, looking at this element of fast fashion is so important because it's this change that 
involves an overhauling of the capitalist system. There's this like cyclical domino effect to so many of these issues. And so, for example, like the plight of garment workers and the powerful brands that value profit over everything else that includes safety, wages, health, et cetera. Um, you know, there was a collapse of the Rana Tower Plaza, which is um, a garment factory where um, a lot of garments are made from very popular brands that a lot of us know. Um, and brands that you would think like Nike that sell very, very, very expensive shoes. Um, so you would think that they'd be able to pay their garment workers a living wage at least and, and allow them to make the, okay. Now I don't actually don't know if Nike was one of the, I believe it was, I want to like say it was, but we'll double check that. But, um, there was a lot of other brands similar to that, that, um, were housing their garment workers in, um, this this factory in in I believe it was Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. And so there the tower, the building was not up to safety standards. It collapsed, killing people, injuring many, also just putting a lot of people out of work. Like it was just all around a very, very bad situation that could have been prevented. And it wasn't because of the greed of the capitalists who were in power over these companies. Um I think that the other thing that this conversation talks about is the materials that were used in clothing. Often they're very harmful to make. Um, they're non-sustainable. Some of them may even have harmful side effects to our health. Health Microplastics is a big thing. Like we can't escape it. It's everywhere. Um, and then of course, like we talked about this, like the influencer culture in halls, um, but how that's like further new, like fuel the need for this of the moment fast fashion. Um, and then these clothing and other accessories and items will literally go sit in a land dump for thousands of years because of the materials inability to break down. And there's a really, really great TikTok about this from um, at Sustainable Cherub. And we're going to link this on our Instagram as well. When this episode drops, we will have a Instagram on um, Instagram post on our feed and we will link to this video. Um, but they basically talk I mean, they really broke it down. She did an amazing job about talking about the materials. So materials like, for example, polyester, that's derived from oil, um, oil. nylon, that's derived from crude oil, rayon, viscose, modal. These are all very popular, all like used in knits. They all originate from a form of wood, which is from trees, obviously, but that's mixed with other materials. They put that in a pulp and then that is woven. Spandex polyurethane, that's another form of plastic. And then of course, this doesn't include the mass amount of water um, that's used in productions and pollutants that are emitted from a lot of those productions, pollutants that are often, you know, obviously cause detrimental effects on our environment. But also this, I don't think is researched enough, like how the um, microplastics and all of that in our clothing affect us like individually on a, mm -hmm. for our health. So I think it's, there's just so much. And I just felt like it was so important to kind of introduce this into this conversation because there's so many complexities to it. But also going back to what you said, Ricky, like I think it is important to not shame people for having to buy from like places that provide fast fashion because of like what you said. I think a lot of fast fashion also has to do with how you are wearing, consuming the product, where if you are buying, like, let's say a top from Zara or Forever 21 or H&M, any of these fast fashion retailers, um, I think that the flip side of that, because the reality of the situation is that you can shame people, but that does not change behavior. And I, and I think that's actually extremely harmful and counterproductive. But if you're like, let's say you get a top from Zara and you have it for five plus years, and it's something that's used in your wardrobe and you're taking care of it and wearing it, it's not ending up in a landfill. Like, I think that there is some ways to kind of mitigate how we are able to 
engage within this culture, engage and and become mindful consumers and and be able to maybe introduce more sustainable um, materials, sustainable, um, sustainably made clothing, ethically made clothing um, and other, you know, accessories, housewares, et cetera, like into our lives and into our wardrobes and into our homes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I love what you, well, I actually looked up the, it was in 2013, right? Yes. Um, DACA in I looked up some of the brands and Prada was on the list, Gucci, Versace, Mango, as well as Primark, Walmart. Oh, the children's place. Um, those are just a few of the brands. I have to work, like we said, we're going to do some research and see if Nike, because um, I remember seeing some, hearing something about Nike in, in relation mm-hmm. to that. But I love that you mentioned, um, like, if you buy something from forever 21 or, or one of these places um that are sorry considered fast fashion um and you take care of it and you keep it for years then that's different and I think it goes into there's this really great book um that I've been that I'm gonna start reading it just released it's called Afro Minimalism I will link the account when we release this episode because she talks about her minimalist journey and it's not minimalism in that shamey type way. It's more about thinking, do I need this? Do I love this? Will I use this? And I feel like you can apply that to many different aspects of your life in general, but especially when it comes to fashion, I feel like, and what you're wearing, like, taking a moment to ask yourself those questions like do I love this will I wear this more than once am I just putting this outfit on to take a picture and then go put something on later today because if you're falling into that narrative then it's really not um it's not really beneficial to you it's not if you're an influencer it's not beneficial to people around you Um, And I think this is very important for influencer culture because I feel like when influencer culture started, culture started, it was supposed to be this more genuine platform idea than like, you know, the ads we see all the time from the celebrities that are Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, my skin looks like this because I use a vino every day. When girl, you ain't using a vino every day. There's some other stuff going on with yeah. your skin. Even if you are, there's some other help there's that's, some that's other aiding help. the Aveeno. That's aiding the Aveeno. It's yeah. not just, because if I take that Aveeno, we ain't going to get the same results. It's just not right. going to happen that way. Right. And I feel like it's it's um, that influencer culture was in response to that but like we said in our influencer culture episode please listen to that episode it's really great um that we see influencer space morphing into the same narrative as that they were trying to get away from and I see this with fashion this influencer space morphing into this same narrative that we were trying to get away from with people and you know as you mentioned before Charmaine the halls girl I used to sit and watch those hauls and be like, oh, I need it too. I kind of love me a haul. A haul of video is, yeah. I know it's it's bad. No judgment. People are going to come for us. But look, sometimes it's therapeutic to sit and watch and see what other people have bought. Now, I have learned over time, Ricky, just because Patricia Bright has that outfit 
doesn't mean you need that outfit. Let's just sit and watch her and enjoy the experience of watching her try on her outfits and things like that, but you don't necessarily need it. And I think that that's okay. Like we can all sit and enjoy watching these things, but I think we need to disconnect um, disconnect from this, this constant need to be like, oh, I need it to, oh, let me go get it. Like disconnect from that buying culture that's within influencer culture. And I think that once we all sit back and really think about um, not just do we need it, do we love it, will we wear it, but also thinking about who is working on this, like who, because if we think about it, if we all spent less time falling into fast fashion, it can make these companies question, okay, we're making a hundred garments. I mean, a million garments, they ain't buying it all. Maybe if we made smaller amounts and paid our workers more and not overworked our workers too, because these people are overworked trying to push out this one shirt that says feminist right. AF to a hundred different people and not having any kind of feminist platform, but let me not die. We have a whole episode about that. Anyways, let me not get into that. But I think that as consumers, one of the things that we can do is begin to do these questions. Now, I'm not saying it's all on the consumer because that's another thing. It's not on us, all on us to save the day. And I think that that's also how the other side of the spectrum um, I'm going to call them the extreme social justice side of the, the extremists, sometimes put it all on the consumer. And I just want to note that we at Gray Matters know that it's not all on us. Like it's not our mm -hmm. fault that this system was created. So I definitely don't want to put it on the consumer. I don't want to say that if we all do this, it will fix the world because I don't care if we all were vegan and we all like, we all made our own clothes, it's still, the world is gonna still fall to crap because we have this capitalist society as a whole. And we have these huge conglomerates, you know, the, are the ones in charge. It's not necessarily yeah. us, but I definitely think there are little things that we can do. Like, you know, if you're gonna buy that top from Forever 21, Think about how long you're going to have that top. Are you just mm -hmm. buying it because you see what's her name or what's his name or what's their name on Instagram wearing it and you just want it too? Or do you actually like it? Are you going to use it? Is it going to last past the, um, like past the season? Can you wear it all throughout different seasons and next season and things like that? Yeah, I think that's really, really important to think about. And also a lot of times it is the companies that want us to think it's all individual consumer responsibility. That's why mm -hmm. going back to like environmentalism, a lot of the companies don't take responsibility for, or like don't, you know, take accountability and responsibility for their actions and what mm -hmm. they're doing that's largely fueling um, environmental decline and climate change in our country. You know, just us using non-plastic straws, yes, it'll help and it's important, but that's not gonna save it. It needs to be, change on a much larger systemic scale. It's really what, that's what capitalism wants, um, as they want us to just focus on individual change and, and like kind of take away from the collective responsibility that the, the corporations have. Um, and I think this also like another takeaway we can kind of have is like ethical representation in the industry is so important. And that also ties into like 
stop culturally appropriating. And that means like stop culture mm -hmm. appropriating textiles, clothing patterns. I mean, I've seen this recently too. Like there's always been this conversation. There's like a, a through line of this, like throughout within fashion. And we have a whole episode on cultural appropriation from season one. So go back and listen to that. If you have more, you know, want to have more thoughts. I want to hear more about that. Um, but it's so important to talk about because like I know Zara recently, I think it was the government of Mexico. I don't know if it was the like uh, country or uh, state or a province within Mexico, but the government um, was attempting to sue Zara for culturally appropriating some of their um, embroidery patterns on their clothing. Um, I saw this recently with, um, I think it was Louis Vuitton. I want to say it was Louis Vuitton selling a like $700 kufia, which is like, you know, it's known to like, without like actually giving like proper representation, things like that to the people of Palestine. And so in the kufia is, you know, known to be like something that is a Palestinian, um, like item of clothing. Um, so I think that's so important too, where like companies need to take more responsibility and like, in addition to not culturally appropriating, they need to have ethical representation um, in the industry that includes like paying their workers fairly, mm -hmm. creating safe work environments and spaces. I think this also like connects to the fashion industry itself. Like there's this idea that I, I was talking about this earlier where like it's fashion is very exclusive and it's luxury and it's art and it's very like the, making fashion and talking about it in like these very existential terms allows fashion to kind of stay away from taking responsibility mm -hmm. and being grounded in like the work, the the harmful work that they're doing and like the harmful things that they're perpetuating. And so it's like, it is possible for fashion to be both creative and be considered an art form and to be ethical, especially for high fashion. Cause runway largely itself is like, oh, it's a start from, I love runway. Like I grew up in elementary school, like watching I, this was like on TV. This I don't think I could like find any of this online. Like nobody was streaming Runway online no yet. I grew up in the nineties. Yeah, we yeah. weren't. We weren't. Yeah. Online. YouTube <laughs> was not a thing. Not a thing. No, like Tom Ford was what Tom Ford was around the nineties, or like at least like what he is now as the brand. But like you know, I know Tom Ford and a lot of other designers will like stream their uh, Runway shows now. Especially this has been very like much more popularized um, with the the pandemic last year. But. Um, yeah, that wasn't happening. So I literally would like find and shows like House of Style and things like that. Like I would find and like go out and like source these shows and just devour runway culture. Like that's why I really got into fashion and beauty because I love, I still love runway culture. I will defend runway culture and fight for runway culture. Not, I mean, I won't defend all elements of it. Of course, I'll call out what's problematic um, and call in and ask runway to, be, you know, for that to be held accountable for their actions. But I love runway culture, but I, firmly believe that there is a way to engage in that art form and engage in fashion and be creative and also be ethical. Like they are not binary people. We can do this. We can definitely do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. Everything you just said, Charmaine. Okay. I'm not going to go on another tangent, but yes, everything, everything you just said. Yes. And I feel like, yes, we do need to stop putting um, you know, runway culture and high fashion on a pedestal. And I think that that, oh, I've been watching this amazing series about um, um, luxury brands and racism. And some of these brands, I'm like- we Drop the name, what is it? Oh, let me, let me find it. Okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna go through my TikTok. Y'all, I'm still, 
TikTok, okay, this is a whole different, but TikTok needs to do a better job with having you to organize like the videos, like so you can, I don't know, put in a folder. They do now. They do oh, now. They do? Yeah. So oh. if you add to your favorites, you can save the favorites into a folder. Oh girl, I have so many folders. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So you can like say, but it's okay. We can, sorry. I didn't mean to throw you off. You can finish no, what you're saying. We can no. find the name later. We'll find the name later. We'll and find add the it to name later and I'll link it too. Cause I'm going to sit here and scroll through a thousand different like, I'm just, but... I'm like, Oh, I, I, I watch anything with like fashion and, and yes, you know, I'm, gonna I'm send... sure we'd love to hear about that. I'm going to send it to you. Um, and so it's like all of these high fashion brands and the history of racism, like the one that comes off top my head um the creation was it is it chanel is that the right mm-hmm. one and, oh yeah oh yeah into the nazis and how literally she how coco her. chanel was a literal yes. nazi yes yeah. and yeah. now everyone like these chanel bags and bad habit i'm like yes but all the like i don't know well chanel i will say like carl lagerfeld who most recently ran chanel i have a lot of issues with carl lagerfeld not a fan he was like infamously fat phobic like not a fan of him, but I think Chanel kind of redeemed themselves only because it was then ran by like Jewish people, like took it over. So after Coco mm-hmm. Chanel, um, it has been a kind of like, it's been run by Jewish uh, designers and directors. And so I think that it's kind of redeemed itself, but you're right. Like it is important to talk about its inception and how it literally was created by a Nazi. Like, I don't, I don't think Coco Chanel herself should be idolized in any way, shape or form. And you're absolutely right. A lot of like what she says is like kind of what's in the brand DNA. So. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Sorry if y'all could hear me opening TikTok to find Charmaine that video, but I will, I will digress and we will just link it on our Instagram page and you can see it there once I find it afterwards. But yeah, you're right. I think it's very important to talk about the history of these brands because, and and I think this goes into our larger conversation of knowing your history, knowing the foundation, knowing that mm-hmm. the foundation of everything that we hold to high esteem, nine times out of 10 is linked to white supremacy, colonization, and genocide. Like I'm just putting out there a lot of Mm -hmm. things that were like, oh, this is so fancy. Like the reason why it's so fancy and the reason why people like got their start um, and, and they became these mega successful like elite luxury brands is because like what was elite in luxury, if you think about it, back in the day, it was okay to be a supremacist or an oppression, which goes into- Classist, all those classes, things, yes. You yes. know, sexist, yes. you know, fat phobic, like all of these different things were okay back then, you know? And I think it's important for us to continue to have these conversations because like I said before, and I'll say it again, racism, sexism, all of the isms ain't just gonna die out because- people from previous generations are dying these ideologies are being passed down through the generations and that is included in fashion industry and those Mm -hmm. in charge of fashion industry you don't just stop being racist overnight (laughs) right no that's i mean it's it's perpetuated for a reason right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that's why it's so important for us to be informed ethical consumers who yes who actively go out make choices support brands that share and reflect your values. Mm-hmm. I think that's so, so important. And yes, it's, it's research and it's work, but like get in touch with us and let us know because we will be happy to engage in some of this research and share the work with you because we are also like 
We're like you learning. said, academics don't mm-hmm. listen. We ain't in this for the money. So <laughs> <laughs> we need what we can do to try to, you know, mm-hmm. find ethical, sustainable and affordable items. And I think this also connects to, I won't go off on a tangent, but this also connects to like home goods and home, not home goods, a store. Cause I do love me some home goods. I love but, me a good home goods. Yes. But like, I think this all also connects to like, cause now like that's the aesthetic, like the home, home trend kind of also <sighs> fashion follows fast fast fashion and that in of itself is like so problematic but um if you have brands like various like share your favorite like ethical brands so um bonus points if they're by women uh you know black indigenous people of color queer creators like bonus points for that but share your favorite like ethical brands and this can be fashion accessories mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. stuff if they have an Etsy, whatever, if they don't like, just let us know because we want to spread the love and spread the awareness and spread the support. And I think that's part of our activism. I know Ricky and I talk about this a lot because we also love a good bargain. And so it's like, it is hard. It's, it's hard and we're not perfect beings, but I think that we, if we try and share and engage in this work, that we can find a solution. Yeah. Yeah, it starts with trying, and I won't go on a tangent. Let me know if you want this to be a whole episode, but when you were talking, I thought about when it comes to home. Okay, so growing up, my mom was super into antiques, right? She loved antiques, and it's connected to my dad's mom. My grandmother actually had an antique shop. Oh, um, And it was very, yeah, it was very, it was very, she had, oh my gosh, she had like everything in this shop and it was not just antique furniture but it was also clothing and everything like she had it it was in like third ward houston this very gentrified area now but let me not get into it (laughs) but i let let i'm gonna bring this out to our listeners let me know if you want an episode about the gentrification of antiquing and 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 how like back in the day like my mom being an antique person was seen as, oh, what is that? Or she's not getting her stuff from like, but where is she getting her? Like it, it wasn't oh, as mm-hmm. just like thrifting. Like when I showed up to school in my clothes, cause my mom, my mom been with the thrifting game. We've been going to thrift stores for children and buying all of buying secondhand. That's like her thing. That's what we used to do. Um, it wasn't a thing. It was like very like, I don't know. People were like, oh my God, why aren't you wearing Amber Cumby? And where's your Aeropostale t-shirt? And I'm like, well, look, I went to a secondhand children's store down the street and that's where my mom got it from. But now I see that there are a lot of white, middle-class, kind of with a certain vibe, people who are making buku money. Sorry for those who don't know what buku, sorry, my Houston is coming out, but they're making buku money off of the very thing that marginalized communities got like dogged out for, for lack of a better word. It's like the things that marginalized communities have been doing for years. Like I know so many different um, black antiquers and people who this is what they specialized in and now it's like an aesthetic now. It's like the hipster aesthetic now. And it's trending and people are making money. Like 
going to estate sales now I didn't even know estate sales were cool until Mm -hmm. I saw on Instagram I was like I used to go to estate sales as a kid I was weird y'all I collected pins um but I would go there I would go and get the pins and pencils and bring them home and have like a whole bag full of pins and pencils I love it I don't know I was weird I like to write a lot in journal I collected keychains so I was like that with keychains oh yeah girl Hey. No shame, no shame in the, in the kid collecting. Yeah. Oh, that things, sounded weird. Not kid collecting. We're not collecting, collecting kids. kids no. Oh my collections God. Collections you had as yes, a kid. as a kid. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but now it's like, it's like, like you said, it's the cool aesthetic now. And people are like, yeah, I'm at the estate sale, bought this $25 dresser, sold it for $250. And I was just having a conversation with my mom. I was like, mom, you could be making buku money now. Like imagine my grandma's shop open now she probably wouldn't get a lot of business because marginalized people of color don't get the same business as people who are white and doing the same exact thing but like it's an aesthetic now and I think that this is one of the detrimental side effects of these trends is the aesthetic comes in and out it comes in and out and if you try to keep up with the aesthetic of course you're going to have major consumption and major um waste issues because you're trying to keep up with the aesthetic rather than just doing what you like and minding your business and do, that's your business like Tabitha Brown said but that's your business and do you um so let me know if y'all want that to be a whole episode I have so many stories that'd um, be so interesting yeah 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 the gentrification of antiquing um and thrifting too um in that so yeah let me know if you want that to be um leave us a comment on this Instagram post um leave a leave a green heart love a good green heart um if you want that to be a upcoming episode but yeah I think yeah I think wow there's so many conversations we can have um but yeah like Charmaine said if you know of any ethical you know shops or people out there Etsy shops etc like tag them in the comments send us an email we would love to tag them too because like Charmaine said we are learning every day with you um and this is a this is a journey learning process that we're yeah. all on. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll stay safe. Share gray matters with your community, with your people, especially if you're in the fashion industry. Like Ricky said, get in touch with us and we'll talk mm-hmm. to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast five stars and by following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.com. That's gray with an A and on Instagram, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts on at graymatterstheblog. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community. That's you, our listeners. So if you have a comment or inquiry about customizable trainings and workshops, email us at graymatterstheblog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we will chat with you next week.